coming to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, this is The Right Hash. The Right Hash is brought to you by Slim Sweets and by Speedy Custom Sneakers. Now, let's spark it up with your hosts, Luke Nadkarni and Alex Thompson. Very pleasant welcome and hello, and this is episode, I think, 19 of The Right Hash. Pleasant, pleased to be bringing it to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios across the great state of North Carolina. Luke Ned Carney, Alex Thompson, along with you. And today we have another guest. First, uh, first time in a while we've tapped into the Speedy Customs Hotline, and you hear his voice on this show at the beginning of every show because he does our voiceover intro. And if you listen to NC State sporting events on the radio, you hear him doing the scoreboards on the Wolfpack Sports Network for. Uh, basketball and baseball. Uh, please welcome. We've been trying to get him for a while, and here he finally is, Zach Burhans. Hey guys, thank you so much, Luke, for having me on. Glad to be on the show. Glad to finally be on the right hash. Finally be on there, on there in person. We you know we we're really grateful you uh, put together a uh, a professional sounding uh, intro for us. Um, makes we we think that makes the right hash sound sound legit. We, it makes us think we sound like we know what we're talking about and. Speaking of knowing what we're talking about, uh, Zach, here is our resident expert on NC State baseball um, here on the right hash since football season ended. We've been been trying to uh, to talk about things that that pique our listeners' interest. And it turns out college baseball has really uh, turned into something that that people want to hear about. So uh, we decided we'd bring somebody in who uh, is it has a very hands-on view of of the NC State baseball team and. Um, and Zach, you, you've been on pretty much not I know not all of the games this year, but but most of the games with with Andrew Sanders on the Wolfpack Sports Network. And um, where else would we start but with with one Tommy White? Can I can I? But but before we jump into the meat, real quick, sure. It, there's there's like you know some podcasts they they have their host come uh, their their guests come on. They're like, tell me your pronouns. Well, I'm not doing that stuff. But in the sports way, it's kind of like, what are your pronouns? Zach, tell us who your sports teams are, your professional sports teams, who you root for in college. Right. Yeah. Line yeah. us up. So I was born and raised in Colorado, so I'm a big Nuggets guy, Rockies guy, and you know I'm a Rockies fan because I say it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm also a Broncos fan, an Avs fan, and collegiately, let's just say I'm an NC State fan because I'm on NC State. Why would I not be? Exactly. I mean, and okay. if you're in this state, there's only one acceptable choice, and that that's NC State, as as you have. Yeah, learned. you know, there's there's a you big game in college basketball between two teams in North Carolina, being the Tar Heels and Duke. But you know, whatever. Nobody NC State, Florida that. State. That comes up. That comes up in a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. But so by by, by the time you listen to this, you'll. That'll probably all, all have happened, and Coach K will no longer be coaching any games at Cameron and North State. Yeah, he's the, he's the only coach in North Carolina in the ACC that I don't think is going to be back next year. Yeah, and, and, and Boo Corrigan has pretty much Unfortunately. confirmed as such. Yeah, we could, we could talk for hours about that, but uh, yeah, you but mentioned, the Broncos. mentioned the Broncos. News surfacing uh, about an hour ago that they are on the short list for Aaron Rodgers. Good. We need a quarterback. I like Drew Locke, but he's not the answer. I don't like Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Does anybody? No, that's why he's been on, what, four teams in five years? Something like that? 
Yeah. Which really sucked because, man, he he was hitting his stride with the Vikings until he took that non-contact ACL injury. Yeah. It yeah, just it really, changed, it really changed him. Cruel and unforgiving beast uh, the NFL is. But let's not get too carried away here because, because – <laughs> Uh, we, we we brought Zach on for a reason, and that's that's to to dive in depth in, of the the NC State Ta- baseball program. Tommy Tanks, Tommy, Tommy Tanks, Tanks to start, who celebrated a birthday earlier this week. I thought about maybe singing to him, but but nobody he wants did, to hear that. Unfortunately so, for Tommy Tanks, since the new cycle of the of the year for him, they haven't won. But yeah. but. You know, he started his stride out great. You know, first game you see Tommy Tanks, right? First at bat. First pitch, not for him. Next pitch, homer. And you're like, wow, this kid is something else. And Evansville thought that too. You know, Shane Gray, great great quarterback. Come on, talking about football. Great pitcher. You know, he's their ace. Next at bat for Tommy White. Intentionally walked. Who was the last? collegiate baseball player as a freshman at your second at bat you're intentionally walked not a bit Barry Bonds probably I, I don't I don't know that's as good a guess as any that's fair yeah <laughs> like, hopefully Tommy White makes it pros and can actually make it into the MLB yeah I mean I don't and want to get too far ahead because he's got three years at he's state he's got cause... three yeah. years at state he is destined to break a lot of records but I like to say, just like with any other sport, your first year when you're that good, you're going to look even better because people haven't figured you out yet. Right. And these home runs that Tommy White's hit, they have not been cheap. These have not no, been they've been scrapers. They've been straight to center he's, field. He's been hitting these to the power alleys. I, I yeah, the, the exit velocity, I want to say his average is like 109. Like these, these are balls you don't want to try to catch if you're in the stands. You just want to let <laughs> them bounce off first. Yeah. Well, you know, not all sunshine and roses for state because they've lost two in a row as of this recording. Um, I know Alex, Alex will probably have something to say about the midweek game, uh, given who the loss was to, uh, but yeah. Northeastern Northeastern came in and shut them down on Friday. Uh, uh, state looked like the, 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 you know, the, they looked the like sacrificial they were, they looked in like, that one. They looked like they were playing at PNC and not the Doak. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah, a nice way of putting it. It, it. it just seems like their, 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 their pitching is just a, a, a big question mark right now. You know, they've only had one game this year where they haven't given up three runs or more and they haven't been playing the most star studied of, a schedule so far, especially from an offensive perspective. So just my, my two cents as someone who hasn't really watched a whole lot of NC state, but I've kept up with them. You know, I mean, if the bat, if yeah. the bats aren't moving, they're not winning. So I, I see what you're saying and I get that, but the, you have to look at the other stats, you know, when they played Evansville and then when they played Quinnipiac, they hadn't given up a run in the first, I want to say it was the first four innings in any of those games. And then I believe it was against Quinnipiac where it became the third inning. And Elliot Avent knows what he's doing. He knows the season's early. And I'm not going to say this half-heartedly. If you lose a midweek game, whatever, it happens. Just don't lose a lot of series. You know, I don't think State's going to drop from their highest rank right now is four. Even with these back-to-back losses, I don't think they drop out of the top five. Because the midweek isn't as 
embarrassing as losing. Like if, if State were to lose the series to Northeastern, sure, drop them down, give them out of the top ten, whatever. But I'm not I'm not sweated on it. The pitching team is really good. Sam Highfill, Matt Wilson, Chris Villeman, they're nasty. They're just getting fresh again, you know, because the way that their season ended last year, it it came as to a surprise to a lot of people, especially at the tweet at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, the, the midweek game against Campbell, I mean, I if you've – for our listeners out there, if you've listened to the program, you've heard me talk about this Campbell team. They are not what their record is. They have played one of the hardest, if not the hardest, starting schedule. You know, they've played ECU a couple of games, Maryland a couple of games. They played NC State. Um, and, you know, they've, they've got a good squad. It's not a bad loss to go lose to Campbell. Oh, Obviously, sure. it's, yeah. it's, it's not ideal if you're the pack, but it's not a bad loss. You know, Campbell has a good team this year, I think. Hashtag um, I would agree to that. Northeastern's the same way. I mean, they they played in the uh, the the that opening classic that was actually in Cary. They beat Penn State earlier this year. They um uh they they beat uh oh man they beat another ranked team. I want to say or competed with them. But uh, I mean, Campbell just beat Ohio State last night. They're th- these are good, good teams they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Ca- Campbell Campbell's good. That's not a it's not a bad loss. It's just what I've seen so far this year against and you're completely right this is the time of year where you're not worried about wins or losses as long as they're not bad we're not even in a conference play yet um we're, we're just getting kind of a, a throw it against the wall see what sticks kind of you know a, exhibition games essentially so uh, there's not a whole lot of stock that goes into these it's just it seems to me if the bats aren't popping off state's not st- state's not state when the right. bats aren't yeah popping. yeah I can that's their that. identity yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that the bat flips and having fun <laughs> is what state's been known to do as of recent. And if you look back at that Campbell game, because I haven't looked much into the Northeastern game, but the Campbell game, at I want to say it was the eighth inning, batters one through five were one for sixteen. That's not going to win a lot of games. That's, that's no. horrible. Yeah. That's so bad. Yeah. And I get it. You know, pitching was great for Campbell. You know, they, they were firing. Yeah. But you can't – but State's also that team where they can rally back at the bottom of their lineup. Obviously, they didn't quite get the job done against Campbell, and they struggled the entire game against Northeastern yesterday. Sam Heifel was the starting pitcher, and they just couldn't get it going. <laughs> But they have guys like JT Jarrett, who is an amazing second baseman, who's a contact hitter, and I might say he's one of the best bunters in college baseball. That's, that is not something I expected to hear out of someone who plays for NC State, a team that, you know, his identity is mashing the ball. I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that because that shows that, you know, this team is malleable. This team can win many different ways. And I'm certain that during ACC season, there's going to be at least one game or one series where a state's going to have to win it with small ball. Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, look back at Pac-9 last year, right? They had guys like Austin Murr, Tyler McDonough, Devontae Brown, who's back this year, JT Jared, who's back this year. Some of those guys hit bombs 
And I believe the call that stuck was McDonough has done it again. <laughs> and these were these were teams like Luca Trash. Goodness, this team was great. And they would just hit bomb after bomb after bomb. But then they got into postseason where they beat Arkansas. You know, they beat the team that hadn't lost a series. And Arkansas smashed state game one. It was like 22, 24 to one. And then State, we you know, recovered. Elliot Avent talked to him. You know, all their staff talked to him. And they said, we can beat this team if we play small ball. And that's what they did the next two games. We took out Kevin Cops. They called the cops, and we got the justice with Evan Justice. <laughs> and, you know, you got to win. You got to know how to win. You don't need to win every game. Like we beat Evansville the first game when it was what twenty four to six. That that's not going to always yeah. happen. Twenty four to six isn't going to happen. Seven nothing isn't always going to happen. Like you know, I mean, if we were to play Wake Forest every game, we would average twenty four point twenty four runs rather. That's because the field's different. You play to your environment. Yeah, and Doak Field is a hitter's park. Uh, it's always been a hitter's park. It's probably going to continue to be a hitter's park because I don't know when they're going to renovate it anytime soon. Uh, I kind of wish they would uh, kind of get with the times and <laughs> make their stadium like a, like, like a, a, an SEC-type stadium. Um, but looking ahead to ACC play, State dodges a couple bullets. You know, they don't have to play Miami. Uh, they don't have to play Virginia, who was the other ACC team in the tournament uh, last year. Of course. Still have to play North Carolina. Still have to play Florida State teams in the Atlantic Division. Um, what are you looking at in the ACC? Who are some of the tougher uh, opponents oh, on the schedule that are of the Wolfpack trouble? The first series, March 11th through March 13th, they're at home against Notre Dame. That's a big game, big series. That'll show if NC State's true. Because some of the rankings have Notre Dame as number two in the country. And others are having them as like number 15. So that that initial game at home, you're going to have the home crowd. This is, you know, this is the real deal now. If they can win that series, state's good. Then they go on the road against Florida State. And that's, you know, back-to-back tough opponents. Tough. And that, I'm, I could go on and on. You know, ACC is a. I want to say they're they're not the easiest conference. They're not the hardest because, as much as I hate to say it, the SEC is stacked. But yeah, I would look forward to the first two series. You know, the first series at home, second series on the road, and we'll see where we are. Yeah, I'll tell you. I was just gonna say I'm really looking forward to the that midweek game against East Carolina. I, I, I kind of, first off, just really like the rivalry between State and East Carolina in all sports. But that midweek game, ECU's a good team. You know, it's one of those, it, it feels like a sudden death game because you don't get another chance if you if you lose. Right. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a bragging rights game against a good a good team. Yeah. yeah. And in Greenville. I, I love those types of scenarios. Yeah, another game will be tough. Notre Dame uh, hosted a regional for the first time in what feels like forever last season. Uh, then they're at Florida State for their first road series. 
Um, and then Georgia Tech comes to Raleigh. Georgia Tech, uh, Danny Hall, one of the best coaches in college sports, not just baseball. Uh, hey, he's a legend down in those parts. Uh, Georgia Tech's got great pitching. Um, they've got guys who can get on base, run the bases. Chandler Simpson at the top of the lineup will get on base, and if he gets on base, he'll steal on you, and he'll make it around the bases and score. Uh, I know this because he torched Georgia last night. Uh, Dogs and Jackets playing a three-game set this weekend. Um, but that'll be another test. So the first the first two home series for uh, NC State will be really premier matchups, and I, I expect the dope to be uh, to be full to the gills for those. And then uh, the first weekend in April, they go to Clemson, which is a, a divisional rivalry um, for three games against a team that is always really good, too, in the Tigers. They do. They actually – their first – Two series in April are on the road. You know, they, they're at Clemson, and then they face off against Campbell again, and then they're on the road in Blacksburg. And that's, like, Black, like Virginia Tech, you know, they're not a powerhouse, but those fans are a different breed. You know, it's hard. Don't it's I know it. Don't <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then... I completely forgot we do play East Carolina twice. We play them at home April 26th. That's a Tuesday right now. It's late for 7 p.m. Eastern time. First pitch. And that that's also circle it. You know, that's we're heading into May. We need to be winning. That game is going to be a telltale. Yeah, definitely. And uh, they, I, I like I kind of like how at the end of the year they've stacked all the North Carolina series. Uh, in May, so at UNC or home against UNC, uh, May sixth through eighth at Duke, May thirteenth through fifteenth, and they finish with Wake Forest uh, in Raleigh, May nineteenth uh, through twenty first. So hopefully, by the time those series happen, State will have a good idea of where it'll be going for the postseason, or at least if it will be hosting, and then can focus on getting the bragging rights within this state. For sure, and you know, people people forget how how good Duke can be. I know they lost the series against Baylor. But Duke is the reigning ACC champion. Yep. They beat State 1-0. Not an easy thing to do. No. That's because Tommy Tanks didn't play in that game. Tommy Tanks, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. To, To go along with that, just for our listeners out there who maybe don't remember how last season ended, let's not forget... NC State was the best team in Omaha last year until uh, until tragedy struck. Uh, un- until until Vanderbilt needed to bitch their way out of that out of that game, and State still almost beat them with pitchers all over the place. Um, Thirteen, baby. So I just folks don't sleep on do not sleep on this NC State team. I know it's hard to sleep on a top five team, um, especially one with uh, the offense that they have, but. Don't forget where this team was last year. Don't forget that they only lost because of COVID. Uh, Honestly, it's the only reason they lost. They beat, you know, they were in when they played against Vanderbilt. I'm not going to harp on it too much, but Vanderbilt, I compare them, is the Duke of baseball. Yeah, no, that's apt. That's very apt. Yeah. I think think that's a fair statement, right? Yeah, I'd agree. And – with Vanderbilt fully healthy, because I don't, you know, yeah, sure, Vanderbilt won that game, but that didn't eliminate State. Vanderbilt was the team at risk of being eliminated that game. Yep. 
Yep. And Vanderbilt won that game against a bunch of players not playing their position. We only had 13 players. That's what we called in the Pac-13. And we lost that game one nothing. Or was it was it three three to one? I think we because I know we it? scored we scored a run. I know we scored a run. No, you're you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, three you're, to one. you're right. Yeah. yeah, it was three to one. It was it was one nothing for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was an unearned run if I remember correctly. It was you know like when you don't have players playing your position, you're gonna get pass balls. You're gonna get errors. It's gonna happen. But that's was Jack Leiter on the mound for that one? Was that Vandy's pitcher? No, oh, yeah. that was so. No. That was the that was Vandy's third game of the uh, of the College World Series, I think. And they had thrown Rocker and Leiter back to back. And then, yeah. if there was going to be a game the next day, they were going to throw one of the two. I think it was Leiter. Right. If there was okay. going to be a, a decisive game against NC State, there were so right. many pitchers playing, I couldn't remember which one Vandy put out there. Right, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> and then just for the people that don't know what exactly happened. So NC State didn't have a bunch of vaccinated players. It started with with our closure, Evan Justice, tested positive. And then it was an out-of-control spiral. The situation wasn't out of control. It was just, you know, like, everybody started testing positive. And we're like, shoot, this isn't good. To the point where when I was sitting in studio, I was looking at the Vanderbilt host. And I said, I don't know if we're going to play. I think, I think we're going to be out right now. And then they got the thumbs up, the green light. We have 13 players. You only need nine to play as you know. And we played that game, barely lost. And then I go home and I, you know, I said, all right, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Hopefully we'll get a couple players back. Cause you know, a few of them could, you know, if they test negative, they could come back. And then I get the notification in the wee hours. NC State has been eliminated due to COVID protocols. And I just sat there. I said, I get it's breaking news. But to send this at 2.45, 3, 3.30 in the morning, that's not cool. Wait for the morning. Wait for 8 a.m. Wait for 9 a.m. It's like, let things settle. Don't, that sounds like they jumped to a conclusion so quick that didn't need to happen. Because I, I believe it was Nebraska, like the state of Nebraska, said this is, they straight up said on Twitter, this is not our doing. We didn't like, yeah, we didn't enforce this. Yeah, the governor. I remember the governor covering his own ass. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that makes it, you know, that makes your, your head, you know, spin, it makes you a little monkey inside clapping the cymbals. You're like, <laughs> you're like, if the roles were reversed, would have stayed, moved on, and the Vandy yeah. boys had gone home? That is the, that is the million That's, dollar question. But I'm not going to no. speculate yes or and, no. It, it, is a, it, is a, it is a question that the NCAA will never answer. And Correct. they would have shut, that, they yeah. shut that down for Vanderbilt. Yeah. Asked, 100%. I mean, yeah. Tim Corbin's the whole reason that NC State players started getting tested. Yes. He's just, he, he's just a, uh, I lost a lot of respect. I had respect for the Vandy program 
up till that point. I, to be fair, I still have respect for their program. I don't have respect for Tim Corbin. Anymore. Speaking of Vanderbilt, do you like the Whistler? Oh no, fuck that guy. But <laughs> it's it's college sports, so it, it in a in a way I appreciate it. But no, fuck that guy. I, I need to find out a way to get that off the TV. Oh yeah, I mean, like, what? Which? Like, here's a question for you. Which do you prefer? If you had to pick one of these three, do you want the cowbell? Do you want the whistler, or do you want the hog call? Oh, I'll, I'll take both the hog call and the cowbell. I like both of those things. I'd say I'll take the cowbells. I'll take the cowbells first. And for one. people that don't know, Mississippi State has the cowbells and Arkansas has the hog call. And I'll tell you firsthand, listening to the hog call when you're in studio, it sounds disgusting. <laughs> it sounds so gross. It sounds like they're just snorting the entire time. That's essentially what they're doing. Yeah, well, that, that's, I, that's what it is. So, so yeah. last night, last night in Georgia, the Georgia Georgia Tech game, it was at at Georgia Tech. But some Georgia fans made the trip, and whenever we 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 being Georgia, since that's who I work for, would, would score a run, the the barking would start, and I'd be like, "Oh man, we're really just we're really <laughs> making making fools of ourselves out here barking okay. like yeah." Dogs. But let, let's let's <laughs> take a, let's take a moment to at least appreciate that fans are able to make this noise this year. Oh, absolutely. I'd much yeah, rather have really that amazing. than hearing, yeah, the silence of the lambs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hate hate the Vandy Whistler though, but the, you know there's yeah. actually two of them. No, are there? there it's, it's multiplied to two, and they sit on opposite sides. So whenever one, whenever one gets shut down, the other one just goes out there and does his thing. Here, here's what I'll tell you. Any other fan base could start their own. You know, it's it's not illegal. It's well, Carolina got yelled at for doing the Florida State chop. <laughs> who, who doesn't get yelled at for that? <laughs> Except well, for me being State. a Catawba Indian, I can do whatever I want, and no one cares because it's D two. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm one sixteenth Cherokee, so I think I get to pass as well. That's it. Yeah, aren't, aren't we all? Aren't we all here <laughs> in the great state of North Carolina? <laughs> I'm Colorado. <laughs> Well, I think that, if you're that, born in this kind of area, you are probably some sort of Native American. <laughs> yeah, well, Zach, Zach, we've got you know you and I have busy days today. Um, we know you have we know you have places to go and uh, stuff. Speaking of Vanderbilt, I have a Vanderbilt doubleheader tonight. Oh, against Hawaii? Yeah. Baseball game. All right. Yeah. Well, doubleheader. Have fun with that. Uh, yep. What time does that start? Five forty-five. Pre-game for game number one. And All essentially right. going to be a 9.45, you know, ish pregame for game number two. So you'll be up there with with, with our man, Andrew Allegretta, uh, 6,000 miles away in Hawaii. That's, that's actually, that's a cool matchup, man. That's, that's, that's cool that Mandy's doing that. For oh, sure. I'm sure, I'm Hawaii. sure poor Gus, they had, <laughs> they, they played yesterday. Yeah. Their, their first pitch came at 11.30 p.m. Yikes. Yeah, I, I saw that on the schedule and was like, Godspeed to that man. Uh, but, but that's that's the life we chose, man. That's, that's it is. We We're here for it. We um, enjoy it. I'll be I'll be I'll be in there till probably close to midnight with uh with the St. John's Marquette game. Uh, I get to get to listen to John Minko tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, oh, that's what back, it felt like. On the, it. Uh, that's what it felt like for the Tennessee Texas game last night. I'm sitting yeah, there like right? one 30 a.m. Like, well, this game just freaking ends, man. Come yeah, on, man. I'll be back on. I'll be back on with uh, Jeff Dantzler and David Johnston for hopefully what's go- hopefully going to be the rubber match of the uh, Georgia Tech Georgia series. 
uh, depending on what happens today. But Zach, we know you have places to go, but uh, you brought up Colorado one more time. So I got to ask you uh, before you head out, if the Broncos don't get Rodgers, does quarterback become their top draft priority? No. No. So what would be their top draft priority? Probably a linebacker, honestly. We need we need to fill a, a big gap. I, I think we should only have one inside linebacker, and I don't think Josie Jewell's the answer. I really don't. If we can – if there is a top defensive end, you know, D-back available, snag him. We don't need right. Malik Willis. We don't, like, I think Drew Locke in his final year deserves a chance with this stacked offense. If yeah, we don't and, get and Rogers. Staff. And Nathaniel Hackett, too. I mean, yeah. you went from yeah, Fangio yeah. to an offensive-minded head coach. Not only that, we have the average age of our coaching staff. It went from being like an average age of 65 to like 40. It's like 36. Wow. I'm, I love it. Where yeah. do you guys pick? What's your pick? Nine. Hopefully, uh, hopefully okay. we don't. Oh, we'll pick, that's and that's why I'm asking because Washington picks an eleven, and I'm like, hopefully you, we oh. don't pick. <laughs> hopefully, Green Bay picks ninth, and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are sitting in Denver. Boy, that's uh, there, there was a, there's this song called "The King of Wishful Thinking," and I think that's <laughs> that's, that's you this morning. <laughs> so, Devontae Adams and Aaron. Boy, I, I, we talked about Aaron. I, I was only talking about Rogers. I don't know where this Devontae Adams business came. Oh, you know Devontae <laughs> Adams is gonna follow him wherever he goes, except <laughs> Green Bay because Green Bay can't afford both of them, so they might as well get rid of both. Start over, Jordan Love. Welcome to Green Bay. This is your team. <laughs> I, I hate to, I hate to burst your bubble, but Devontae just bought a twelve million dollar house in Vegas this week. Okay, Ooh. so so if he goes to if he goes to the Raiders, I guess Aaron Rodgers is not going to the Raiders because Derek Carr is clearly the answer for the Las I, Vegas I, Raiders. I don't think they're going to be on the same team. I think they cost too much together. That's that's yeah. fine. I mean, I was you know worst case scenario, we got Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler's coming back. Noah Fant's good. Albert O is all right. I, um, I love the Broncos. Devontae Williams. Yeah. I still those, think Yeah, I love the Broncos. I still options. think Jerry Judy. I still think Jerry Judy has superstar potential, man. Same he here. does. I, I've, re- I've always re- I've really liked that guy ever since he came into the league. I didn't like him in college. I love him in the pros. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So agree. Jazz, yeah, well, there there you have it. NC State uh baseball analysis, a little bit of a little bit of impromptu Broncos talk. Zach, thanks a lot for joining us today. We know. Things are jam packed for you, and thanks a lot for uh, for providing the, the voiceover, making our show sound uh, just yeah, a little bit better. Thank you for having me on. I'm always welcome to join. Just let me know when, as long as I'm free, I'm here. I'd like to have you. Tanks. I want to have you on for some avalanche talk as we get close to the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I got you. I got yeah, you. As, you know, as long as Tommy Tanks is hitting home runs, you'll you'll be welcome. <laughs> on the show, so. I'll have to tweet at him and be like, my guy, my life depends on you hitting bombs. Do it. Do it. That's a, and that, that's a pretty pretty long shelf life, I expect, uh, given given what he's been doing. So uh, thanks a lot once again, Zach Burhans, uh, thanks, for joining Zach. this episode of The Right Hash. Uh, real, real quality stuff. As we transition to NFL Combine Talk, you're listening to The Right Hash. Follow us at The Right Hash on Twitter, send us a message, send us an email, the right hash 
at gmail.com. If you want to put us in the grinder, uh, throw us a segment. Give Zach a follow as well. I will mention his Twitter handle as, as soon as I should have had him do that. Uh, but I will throw Zach's Twitter handle out there. As it's, at, it's just at, pretty simple at Zach Burhans. That's with Z A C H, not Z A C K. So at Zach Burhans, give Zach a follow. Uh, you'll hear him. You hear him at the beginning of every show. Um, and he is your go-to for NC State sports uh, and especially baseball information uh, here as he works directly with the Wolfpack Sports Network. Uh, but Alex, NFL Combine, it seems like, you know, the season did just end. Um, we're about a month removed from the Super Bowl, not even a month removed from the Super Bowl. Um, but now all the talk is about Kenny Pickett's hands. That's that's all I'm hearing is about Kenny Pickett's hands. And it's it, to me, it's like there's got to be more to it than this. You know, he he wants such a big burger, but he's got <laughs> these tiny hands. He wants to go to Mondo Burger, home of the big booty burger, home of the big booty burger. But he can only eat at Good Burger. <laughs> but he's got these tiny hands. I love that. I love that commercial. They need to bring that one back. Uh, so they, they need to bring that one back to play during the Kenny Pickett games for whatever team he gets drafted to. And one of the first things I saw after this news broke was, well, but Joe Burrow had, you know, small hands as well. And look where Joe Burrow was this year. You, you want to know how much your hand size matters? None. None. You want to know what matters? How many times you get hit while you have the football? That's that's your likelihood of fumbling. If you do not get hit while you have the football, you're likely not going to fumble. But that's an offensive line statistic. That is not a quarterback statistic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but we we talked about about the combine and what goes on in the combine. What we see on television during the combine isn't really what teams are looking at. In my opinion, that's more you know that's for the fans. That's for people to like look and get excited and be like, all right, you know, we should draft this guy. We shouldn't draft this guy. I think it's a lot easier to hurt your draft stock at the combine than it is to help it, but not because of what your 40 time or what we see on TV, you know, this is the first time that the teams really get to see the players as people, you know, away from their college teammates, away from their college coaches, you know, away from their college weight rooms and practice fields. And, you know, they, they not only see them on the field, but off the field as well. And I think this, this is where you know, the wonder look is administered and, and, and whatnot, but Alex, are you in agreement when we say it, it's a lot easier for the combine to hurt someone's draft stock than it is to help it? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can uh, hear you. Uh, my, my light wasn't lighting up when I was talking. Um, it, you know, I, I'm kind of – I have a foot in both pools, if that makes sense. Like, on, on one hand – I, I say to myself, the combine doesn't matter that much. They don't care how fast you can run a 40 in spandex. But at the same time, you see every single head coach, every single scout, every single GA. You see everybody here that matters, that is going to be making decisions. So obviously they're using this. And I mean, I'm talking about the on-field stuff. They are using this in their process. But I don't think it's in the way that a lot of folks assume. Like, guys aren't moving – up and down draft boards drastically because they ran a 40, you know, 10 seconds, of a, ten, a tenth of a second faster than they thought. What they're looking at is like an overall body of work from an athleticism perspective. The combine doesn't show how well you know a playbook or how quickly you can adjust to different coverages or 
how fast you run in the fourth quarter. They're looking for baseline athleticism, and that's kind of what this is. So, yes and yes and no. I think you can hurt yourself more in the interviews than you can on the the field in the at the combine. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I think the best way that somebody can improve their draft stock is by running a four point two forty. Yeah, I don't think we've seen that yet. Yeah, four two oh forty. I don't think we've seen that yet. No, John Ross's four two one is the fastest that's ever been run at the combine. Uh, Dude, maybe, on on record, they say maybe, Bo Jackson's was faster. Maybe if Tommy White ever switches to football, he'll become a he'll run he'll run a four point two oh oh forty. Well, we got really close with another four two one, but it got uh that was the unofficial. The official was like a four two seven. So um, he's the second fastest, but um. I mean, and the 40 is one of those places I think guys really can improve their draft stock. I think you can improve your draft stock at the combine, for sure. I, like, that, that that can happen. But I only think it's really in two drills, or three. I think the majority of folks are going to move up draft boards at the 40 if you if you blow away with times. Like, uh, like your guy over at uh, Virginia, the tight end. Um, that guy skyrocketed his value just off of his uh, athleticism. Yeah, Jelani Woods, yeah. Yeah, Jelani. That guy is, I mean, I, I looked at their profile. They're like, he has elite everything um, from, a, from a measurable standpoint. And he's going to rocket up draft boards because of what modern tight end has turned into. You have a guy like Valus Jones at Tennessee who we didn't even know he was this fast. He ran a 4-3-1. He's like eighth all-time fastest 40 that's been run at the Combine. And no, nobody's really talking about it, but we had no idea he was that fast, even as Tennessee fans. Um, and he's he's kind of like that Debo Samuel, like Swiss Army knife type of player that the NFL likes. And running a fast forty and being that type of player is going to seek, you know, sneakily move you up draft boards. Um, so I think that, and then the the throwing uh, routes on air um, is where quarterbacks can really start to. To, to fluff their draft uh, spot like Josh Allen did. I remember them talking about Josh Allen, and he would wait an extra second or two in the route just to show off his arm at the combine. And it vaulted him up draft boards. Um, and then you've got bench press, I think, for your your trench guys. That can really help separate. I mean, of course, that's not an end-all, be-all. Like, Steven Paella is the all-time leader, and I don't even know if that guy's still playing. So, you know, it's not an end-all, be-all. But from a draft perspective, it's a great way for teams who are stuck between two players to have some level of objective decision-making differentiators there. Like, okay, we're we're torn between Iki Iquanu and Evan Neal. Let's see how they just measured and tested. Maybe that's what helps make the decision between two prospects. And I think that's where you get people moving up and down. It's that teams don't necessarily yes. look at, you know, they don't necessarily look at Kenny Pickett by himself or Malik Willis by himself. They look at them, you know, kind of side by side. Exactly. And, and I think and I think where the combine really helps is these guys from programs that don't necessarily get a lot of publicity. You know, like Virginia and Jelani Woods. Not a lot of people knew who he was uh, until a couple days ago. And multiply that by, you know, the dozens and dozens of players that come to the combine and maybe aren't as players or teams aren't as familiar with these players. And the combine is a lot more useful for them than it is for these guys we've been talking about for months on end. Because in reality, 
for for got for you know the draft the off when the off season starts you know the off season quote unquote is actually the start of the season you know the end of the the end of the Super Bowl is basically the beginning of that that season I actually I, I know a, a guy who works for the Cardinals uh, Nathan DiGregorio who, who is part of their draft you know part of their draft scout team I don't know what his actual title is but he he spends the off season and most you know most of the season watching college games and then in the off season you know that's kind of his and his co-workers time to shine is when they take all the research they've done and put it into the, the other draft prospectus. And then you have the combine, which is really, a, really only a small part of what these teams do. And then you have another two months until the draft guys have pro days, you know, guys will have guys come to their, uh, have scouts come to their university and work out by themselves. And, you know, to me, I, I don't know how necessary that is for a lot of the, the bigger prospects, but the, the combine, even though it's such a small part of what teams do, it really can help those kind of middling prospects either set themselves apart or I'm sure there are cases too where some of these draft stock falls from you know maybe a potential fourth or fifth rounder to a sixth or seventh rounder because you know they might not have the best combine showing. You know, we, we, we only really hear about the top, you know, the, the top prospects. We, we, I'm sure you could dissect all the numbers and be like all right this guy is gonna move up this guy's gonna move down unfortunately nobody has time to do that except the people who work for the teams i think i think i think most i would say that a large portion of draft grades just comes from the eye test of these scouts and you know coaches and whoever's making these decisions it's coming off of them just watching actual game film that's really what matters the most but you, you you nailed it. When you're talking about, I, I like this Trevor Penning guy, this Northern Iowa offensive tackle who just has like the meanest mean streak I've seen an offensive lineman have in a long while. Um, you know, he's not going to be the highest tester, but he, j- just him being there and people being around him s- since the senior bowl, he has generated this reputation now that this guy might be an end of the first round pick, top, you know, second round pick by the time it's all said and done just off of his mentality. Not a single thing he's done on tape, not a single thing he's done at the combine, but just him being there and being known and somebody seeing what he does. Yeah, it, it, it's these Northern Iowa guys. It's these UT Chattanooga, Central Michigan. Like, they should really stop inviting Power Five players to this because we have film on them. A lot of film against good competition. You can you can safely scout and analyze that, but it's really difficult to do that with these mid mid tier teams, low tier teams, because how 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 do you offset their inferior competition that they're playing against? You know, if they're an NFL player, they are clearly playing against inferior players um that's that's what the combine is for they should stop like i said just stop inviting power five players altogether for the most part this should be for mid-major type college players to really help because the 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 big the big guys are still going to go work out at their own pro days like you said later on uh you know a couple weeks down the road they're going to go work out at the pro days you're going to get to time them there you're still going to have basically the same stuff you can interview them you can watch them you're not going to get that with Northern Iowa. Like Northern Iowa is not going to have a pro day. Trevor Penning's probably going to go to Iowa's pro day and work out there. 
that that's what I love about the combine is finding these guys who jump off the stat sheet, jump off the measurability charts that you've never heard of before, and they enter into the back end of the draft and wind up being the the, the actual value and the actual steals of every single draft are these guys who just show out at the combine off of out of nowhere. Yeah, that's how Antonio Gibson wound up on Washington. That he was a guy that was not on their radar until the combine. I mean, he's just a, one of many. <clears throat> um, but more specifically, uh, to, to uh, a team and a player that's relevant to both of us, you mentioned him a, a few minutes ago, and your team having the first pick in the draft, and I've seen him predicted. How would you feel about Icky and Jacksonville? How does he fit into this offensive line? I love Icky. The, the problem I have is I just don't know if he's number one pick. Um, I, I, I love where he fits. Um, of course, it remains to be seen if we decide to re-sign slash tag Cam Robinson, who would be our left tackle. To be honest, I don't see Icky being the number one only because I think Evan Neal is better. Um, I- Icky has played tackle longer, but Evan Neal has a lot more flexibility across the line, which is massive in the NFL. He can play three; pos- he can play all three positions: center, guards, and tackles. He can play all the way across the line. Icky is really just your he's, – he's your left tackle. If you need a left tackle, that's what he plays. If you don't need a left tackle, you probably are going to want to go with someone else that's not Icky, just he plays left tackle. I would love to have him. But to, to, to wrap this back up with the Jaguars, the combine is going to help them in several ways. It, the way I see it, they have three options. One, most likely they go with an offensive tackle at one. Two, Still likely, but less likely, they go with a defensive lineman. Three, they trade the pick. And I think trading the pick is starting to move up because we're looking at the offensive lineman. And a guy that I really, really like is this Charles Cross guy from Mississippi State. He's testing well. I like what he did at Mississippi State. And what the combine does is it tells you how big your positional class is. It tells you, okay, we've got a shit ton of wide receivers. Maybe we don't need to value one as high. Okay, we've got a lot of offensive linemen. Maybe we don't need a value on as high. And I think the Jack, I think this this combine might have set in stone the Jaguars' intention to trade down if they can um, and, and get decent value. Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of drop off between dropping uh, between picking Evan Neal, Icky Aquanu, or Charles Cross. Maybe a couple picks later. Um, that that's where I am. I think they go offensive tackle. I don't know when. If they pick one, it's going to be Evan Neal. That's burning question number one that I kind of just came up with during this segment. Burning question number two, and this is sort of relevant to Washington. I've kind of been turning this over in my head a little bit uh, ever since seeing uh, combine footage. Do you believe in Malik Willis? Yes. Um, the the I, I don't have any questions about him. I think he's extremely coachable. Uh, the thing that maybe worries you a little bit is he's a senior and he's not a junior. Um, and I, I, I don't know what it is about that. Just with that type of player, I kind of figure either you're good enough to go out as as a junior. Maybe he just didn't because it was a really strong quarterback class. That That's fair. Um, and he just waited because he knew this one was going to be kind of weak. But, you know, he's been several places, didn't win the starting job anywhere, really, but Liberty. Um, I believe in his athleticism, and I think Lamar Jackson taught us all a valuable lesson in in athleticism at a quarterback. I think he has similar athleticism to Lamar. 
I think he might be a little bit better thrower, um, which is which is good. I I don't I don't know how he's going to do between the ears because he's played at Liberty and I don't think he's had a quarterback's mind to you know it, I don't think it was good enough to start at Auburn. Um, so I, I'm really torn. I've seen this guy mocked as high as like sixth. And the most recent ones I've seen have him going 20 to Pittsburgh, which I think is a perfect fit for him should he wind up there. But I got I got to think, if you're a team that needs a quarterback, to me, there's, he's the best prospect. I don't think he's right now the best quarterback. I think that's Kenny Pickett. But I think top level, ceiling-wise, I think Malik Willis is the highest ceiling prospects in this class. And I think he might have the highest floor as well. I think you're going to at least have a, a Justin Fields-like rookie season out of this guy, worst-case scenario. And he has emerged as as a Washington fan. He's kind of emerged as the guy I, I think would be the best fit. Um, I also like Desmond Ritter uh, out of Cincinnati. Uh, I just – I want a guy who can move, man. I, and and the risk you run when you go for a quarterback from a <clears> – <throat> Liberty's not a small school in the literal sense. It's actually it's a, it's a large school with a lot of students, but it's yep. a small school in a, in the grand scheme of college athletics. Uh, so you look at Josh Allen, who came from Wyoming, was a similar situation. He's panned out. You look at Carson Wentz, who came from North Dakota State, similar situation. He hasn't exactly panned out. So you're kind of running a bit of a risk when when you take a guy like Malik Willis um, from. In that regard, for Washington's perspective, you know, Lynchburg is only a three-hour drive away from from uh, Washington. He'd be, you know, there, there'd be a lot of fans in the area that that would root for Willis because he plays for the local team. Uh, you know, his college coaches, his college, you know, college college classmates, teammates, family could probably go watch him play. Uh, that that would be something that I think is appealing to somebody in his rookie year in the NFL. I also think Pittsburgh would be a good fit because they also need a quarterback. Uh, but I think you're right. He's not a project-type quarterback that you take and sit for a couple of years while you develop him under someone else. Uh, he's not um, He's not a, a – I'm blanking on you know, who, who might be – like a Dwayne Haskins. The Washington took that yeah. approach with Dwayne Haskins, and it didn't work. Um, Drew Locke. We Drew talked Locke. about him earlier. Yeah, you know, Denver took that approach with him, and it didn't work out. I think Malik Willis and and – Pretty much everyone in this class that has been talked about, for that matter, Kenny Pickett, um, you know Desmond Ritter. Uh, I think they're all guys that need to play immediately. I, I think agree. these are all players that you can't just sit them behind a veteran for a year and hope they soak it up. You need to give these guys a trial by fire, and you need to do basically do what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow. You know the injury notwithstanding, it's just throw them to the wolves, and with the experience, you hope they've got what it takes to have them pan out as quickly as Burrow did. And here's something else I'll say. It's probably not a popular opinion, but it's my opinion. I like Malik Willis more than I like Trey Lance. And Trey Lance wound up going number three and getting traded up four. Um, People who are talking that Malik Willis is going to go 20th, I think they don't understand or remember what happens every single year where quarterbacks start. Uh, not a great class, and then Baker Mayfield goes one. Uh, not a great class, and uh, it, you know what? We we have Joe Burrow going number one. Um, it it just seems like every single year at this point we're talking about there not being a a, a number one pick quarterback, 
And then by the time the combine rolls around, it's, oh, okay, is anyone trading up to take this number one quarterback? Like, it just seems like it always winds its way around to quarterbacks being overvalued. And I think by the time it's all said and done, if Trey Lance went number three, I got to think Malik Willis is not falling to 20 in today's NFL. This guy is raw. And if you can teach him how to throw a football at an NFL level, he is going to be at, at, at least a, a, a middle-of-the-pack NFL starter. I, I, I feel that in my bones. He needs, he needs to, to have an environment where he has some stuff around him already. And I don't know how well he fits into an already – like, I don't know how well he would fit into Washington. Because I think Washington is in a, a kind of almost a win-now mode. Um, I think Kenny Pickett fits a lot better there because I think Kenny Pickett is more ready to take over in the NFL right now. I don't think he has the ceiling that Willis does, but if you're drafting a quarterback to win right now, I think Kenny Pickett is a much better option, and it's why he's being mocked higher than Malik Willis. Yeah, and I, I think the school he plays at kind of has a lot to do with that too. Um, sure, sure. We see, we see, you know, we see it every year. Is there's always power conference quarterbacks who are a little bit projected to go a little bit higher than than they end up going. The SEC, I think, translates the best to that. I, I I think Matt Corral should be hoping to land in Washington or Pittsburgh personally because I think those are both teams that have a great talent around them. It's step right in. You've got receivers, you have running backs, both teams have good defensive superstars. Both of them, in my opinion, have very good head coaches. Um, I think those are two ideal situations, really for any quarterback to land. But I think Matt Corral is another guy who is primed to have some success year one if he's given the reins. Now, I'm not saying he's going to succeed right away, but I think you'll see an upgrade over what, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and uh, oh man, your your quarterback is slipping my mind. Uh, Heineke, I, yeah, I, think, Heineke. I, I think he is an upgrade over those guys. No, no shade thrown at Heineke. I like what he's done, what he's had to do for Washington. He's done a great job. Um, but he he's an upgrade, and he he gives you a little bit more of an athletic ability. He's got a huge arm. Um, I think pairing him with Scary Terry would be a, a, a great fit. I think I think Matt Corral needs to have his name in this in this pot a little bit higher. You know, I, he's not going to test the best, but l- just look at what he did with Ole Miss. Um, and, I mean, we're talking about at, at Ole Miss. The only other guy who's really been able to bring them up as high as he did was Eli Manning. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Corral is – people are sleeping in, on him a little bit, mostly because of the injury, yeah. but also because of that. Um one other football subject, a little bit of a flex here as we go from like the draft to free agency is with the news breaking yesterday that Dallas is going to release Amari Cooper or is likely to release Amari Cooper. I brought this up last night off off air and uh, he, he's going to be at least right now the probably the crown jewel of the wide receiver free agents, maybe of all the free agents. This this kind of an unexpected move by Dallas. I, I, like, to, I like him in New England as a fit uh, with the Patriots. I think, uh, you know, 27 years old uh, in his prime, they've got a, a quarterback they're trying to develop um, with a coach that knows all kinds of offensive schemes. Uh, and I, I think now that the Patriots have moved on from Brady, they're going to be a little bit more willing to go after star players at other, other positions. Uh, you know, if anyone can make the financials work, it, it's Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. 
Um, and Amari Cooper is good enough to be playing for a premier franchise. He's good enough to be the number one receiver for that premier franchise. And, and I just, I just, they were the first team I thought of, uh, you know, New England. I know they've been, they've been linked to other big time uh, wide receiver free agents or, or trades as well. But I just, I, the more I think about it, the more sense Amari Cooper to the Patriots makes to me. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. It's the NFL and weird stuff happens all the time. I, I, I see the fit. The problem that I have is they just signed the two linebackers in the offseason last year and those two massive tight end deals of Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. I don't know where they find. Like you said, they, they can make the financials happen. It's New England. There is no, no, nothing is off the table there except for whatever happens in the back room of the massage parlor. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't see how it makes sense for them when they have cheaper similar options like and i mentioned this to you calvin ridley i've heard is a, a trade target it sounds like it might only cost him a second round pick i know new england loves their picks but um getting calvin ridley for a second might make sense for them if, if that's truly on the table um i i think the alabama connection is a little bit better there because mm -hmm. mac and amari cooper didn't play together Mac and Calvin Ridley didn't play together, but Calvin Ridley is a little bit closer to Mac than Amari was at Bama. Um, it, either either way, I think New England probably winds up with a Bama receiver, but I think Amari is going to go get more money somewhere else than New England. Yeah, I mean his Personally. options are un unlimited, basically. Like, uh, I, but, can, well, one thing it, this does is I. I it it might lose Devontae Adams a couple million dollars though, because it's gonna take an extra team out of the race. So someone's yeah. getting Amari Cooper that would have been in the Devontae Adams race. There's just gonna be one less bidder there. Um, so it might affect his money a little bit. And it's also gonna affect the other free agent guys on the market like Chris Godwin. I've uh Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson are two of the other big free agent wide receivers um that are kind of now maybe shitting their pants a little bit because I think Amari Cooper is probably better than both of them. Um, he healthy. Uh, that's that that's that's the key for Amari Cooper is his health. That's why I'm a little bit skeptical for even the Jaguars to pick him up because he's just had nagging injuries literally since he's been a Cowboy, um, and I just don't know if he's if if the money he wants to get paid is worth that risk. There's a reason the Cowboys are cutting him. Yeah, there there is a reason, but. Um, I, I like to think that Jerry Jones doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So, or Steven well, Jones, whoever, ended, whoever ended up make that decision. I mean, it, I was talking with another buddy about this and, you know, uh, we can tangentialize off this all we want, but we're, we're start, we're starting to see, and I, I think this is a great case in point of this evolution about to happen. I think the running back position is about to disappear out of the NFL. What Debo Samuel did this year, what Cordero Patterson did this year, what they're looking at kind of the new crop of receivers to do is be more of that, that, you know, running back wide receiver hybrid type player. So where you're not paying Aaron Jones to be a marginal upgrade over rookie AJ Dillon. I think we're just going to see a lot of vet minimum or rookie running backs in the NFL. I mean, there's a reason guys like Le'Veon Bell aren't able to find the fields often. It's because there's so many, running backs, and you, you can't have all your money tied up in one. I mean, imagine if Green Bay did not have to worry about Aaron Jones 
contract right now or that, you know, as far as being on their books, they would have enough money to keep both Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams on a franchise tag, but they would also have A.J. Dillon. You look at the Cowboys. If they hadn't signed Zeke to what they did, they could have Tony Pollard, who, by the way, is a better running back for the modern NFL, and Amari Cooper and the rest of that wide receiving core if they didn't have this massive paycheck. Same thing's going to happen with Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. These guys are not worth what they're getting paid to be a running back. And neither one of, none of those guys are good enough to be wide receivers like Debo Samuel and Cordero Patterson. So I think we're about to see a monumental shift in the NFL away from the running back position and strictly into these hybrid wide receiver running back guys. So just a really fun thing to monitor in front of our eyes, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, that'll influence, you know, who gets what contract, you know, who, who sets the market, you know. What, exactly. Is Debo Samuel going to be the highest play, paid player in football in a couple of years? And the possibility definitely exists. And this also is significant for players that are not – and teams that are not free agents yet, but need long-term deals. And the yep. biggest example for me being Terry McLaurin in Washington. They're, you know, they're trying to get a deal done now. And, you know, what Amari Cooper gets, what Devontae Adams gets – is as a free agent is going to influence what people like Terry McLaurin get with their current teams. And you're starting to see, I mean, with that hybrid running back wide receiver thing becoming a lot more common, you're starting to see the type of receiver like your Amari Cooper, like your Gary Terry, who these guys can run deep routes posts all you want all day, but where they specialize is they're the receivers that catch balls across the middle. They're the receivers that make close contested catches on the sideline. That that type of receiver is not as common today as it used to be. Even guys who are like DK Metcalf size, they're, they're trying to get as fast as they can and just run flies. It, it's, it's almost an art, these guys who are able to go across the middle and make body catches without dropping it. I was watching the wide receiver journals, and Michael Irvin and Steve Smith were um, commentating over it. And uh, it, it was the one where they run down the, the straight line and they had the jugs machines on each side. And Michael Irvin was talking about, he said, Team, teams don't want you to catch with your body anymore. And he's like, I disagree with that. I think there's a time and a place to catch with your body. And I, was, I, I agree. I think there's a time and a place that you have to be able to just go across the middle, get a third down conversion. You're not worried about catching it out in front of you and yard after catch. You need to catch it, get that first down and get to the ground. And that is a dying art in the receiving world. Um, so I, I think a guy like Terry McLaurin, who can do that and specializes in that, ca- those dirty catches, he's going to get paid a lot of money because there's not a lot of guys that do that anymore. Yeah, it's almost like your your fast take the top off the defense receivers are like your three point shooters, and yeah. those receivers you just talked about are like your slashers. Your guys who drive into the lane and draw fouls and go to the free throw line, kind of like a, like a Lorenzo Brown uh, type, type, but a football player. I mean, Terry's, like, Terry's exactly Derek that. Yeah, Derek Rose. Terry is exactly that. You know, he clinched the Tampa Bay game last season by going over the middle, getting nearly getting his head taken off by a defender, but holding onto the ball for a first down, and that's what won the game for Washington. So. Yeah, and I, those are those receivers are invaluable possession receivers. Uh, Pierre Garcon is probably the best example from from the past decade for Washington. You know, whenever they needed that, you know, third and six to keep a drive moving, you send Pierre on a seven or eight yard out route. Yeah, he gets his head taken off, but he holds on to the ball. 
I mean, what when, when you when you kind of boil it down and think about it, that's why the tight end position has become what it's become because those guys are big enough to go match up to linebackers and make contested physical catches. That's what's missing in the NFL. That's why you have to have tight ends do it now. It's because there's no receivers that will. Um, Devin Funches was a guy who I thought had a tremendous ability to do it. He just dropped the ball a little too much, but he, he he's one of the last guys that is both that build and willingness to do it. Because Mike, Mike Evans is kind of that build, but he's just a strictly outside guy. Sim, like I said, similar with DK Metcalf. Those taller guys, they're just getting faster and running outside. They're kind of sticking to that Randy Moss type of uh, NFL wide receiver style. Not as much the Michael Irvin style, which I prefer the Michael Irvin style in my receiver personally. Devin Honey Funches of Oats. Honey Funches still, of Oats. Still baby. one of the best Chris Berman nicknames I've ever heard. <laughs> like, and, and that's a long, a long list. Maybe, maybe that would be one of our one of our well, I know we did nicknames, well-known nicknames as a grinder segment. Maybe, maybe we'll just play Chris Berman nicknames just to like, say for, for I, like I, 10 minutes one day. <laughs> my my favorite was definitely Eric sleeping with the enemy. That is a good one. That's a good one. Uh, there was, yeah, Corin Robinson. Um, and then he, he would sing, Miss, Chris Berman would sing, you know, cuckoo, cuckoo, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> Something like that. And man, we could go down that whole rabbit hole of, of, of Chris Berman specific nicknames. Also a lot of great baseball ones like Burt Behome, Bly Levin. Uh, Bly Levin. <laughs> school one. Uh, but we're listening to The Right Hash. Follow us on Twitter at The Right Hash. Uh, shoot us an email or a message uh, the right hash at gmail.com if you'd like to hear us talk about something specific I'd like to thank Zach Burhans from way back at the beginning of the show talking uh, some NC State and ACC baseball um, lots of college baseball on the docket this weekend a good series going on in Houston um, and we, we talked yesterday Alex um, with this lockout happening it's a great opportunity for college baseball but it's also specifically a really cool showcase to see college games being played in major league parks, like what's happening in Houston this weekend. Yeah. The Shriners classic. If you guys haven't tuned in, you can catch that on MLB network, astros.com as well as the Astros YouTube and Facebook channels. They're streaming that live. Um, great games. They're, they're playing in the Astro dome. Um, home team gets full use of all the trash cans on site. So, um, <laughs> and the visiting it, team it, gets the streetlights. It, yeah, it, it, exactly. Uh, Tennessee was a visiting team last night, so uh, Texas uh, at, out banged on a trash can, um, drumming on a streetlight. Uh, it, it was it was a fun game. It's just a fun atmosphere to see these guys playing on a major league field because it is no matter how how nice your SEC field is, it's 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 not close. It's not like college football where college football has better stadiums than the NFL. Major League Baseball, by far and away, has better stadiums than anybody in college baseball. Even yeah. Texas, even the big oil money teams. Right. That's, not even to say, that's not even to say that these college atmospheres are bad. It's just when right. you've got 40,000 seats versus 15,000, I mean, you do the math. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about Tennessee. <laughs> Tennessee just upgraded to have a capacity of about 5,000. It was about 2,800 last year. There's just yeah. not been a need for it. And yeah, I mean, I overshot that for sure. <laughs> No, no, you didn't overshoot it because like Georgia has, uh, I want to say ten or twelve thousand. Florida, LSU, Texas, they're all in that ten thousand, fifteen thousand range. There are stadiums out there that are are holding a decent amount of people, especially uh, 
Mississippi State and Arkansas, they've got big ones as well. Um, but you're you're starting to see it become a little bit more pop culture. You know, it's starting yeah. to become a popular sport, which is fantastic. Um, I'm someone who didn't really get into it until the last couple of years, mainly because Tennessee just hasn't been great at it since I've been alive. Um, but they're definitely worth watching now. The entire SEC is worth watching. There's a lot of college baseball, especially West Coast baseball. If you're looking for something to watch late night and have nothing on, West Coast baseball, Long Beach State, all those guys out there are fantastic. Yeah, UCLA's got a great program. Oregon's got a great program. It, it, it fills a need, especially this time of year. Like as soon as March Madness is over in the middle of April, there's kind of nothing until we have NBA NHL playoffs start in June and Omaha pops up right around that same time. But we've got that that filler, like two months that we need something. Everyone, watch college baseball this year. First off, it's better than Major League Baseball. It, it, just, it just is. It's more interesting. It's more exciting. People are bat flipping and people aren't getting as mad. Um, I, I think the, 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 the connections between people on social media, the, the new rivalries that are forming, like between Tennessee and Arkansas is, has been awesome. They're kind of, they're, they're like our, our new age rival, Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, it, it's just been a lot of fun and I think more people should give it a, should give it a try. Get, give it a, a legitimate effort. You know, watch a series, watch two series. If you don't like it, whatever. But I think you're going to like it. Yeah, and we in our notes for the show this morning, we kind of had MLB lockout, fuck Rob Manfred. Um, but you know what? F- fuck that. I'm not going to tell you. No need for negativity here here on this episode uh, because we're, we're just, we're just going to talk about how great for the next couple minutes, how great college baseball has been thus far. And, and you, in football, at the end of the season, you get – those ACC SEC matchups uh, that usually the SEC wins. Um, but in baseball, it's a little bit different. You get a lot of these at the beginning of the season. You've got Georgia Tech playing Georgia this week. You've got Clemson playing South Carolina. Uh, and, and it's almost like it's it's like an appetizer at the beginning of the season. And at least the Georgia guys were talking about this last night. When playing against Georgia Tech, that's a, a preview of what's going to come in the SEC. You know that play, that's not playing. You know these cupcakes like Evansville and Akron and you know whoever else we, we've got on the schedule. Like that's a legit. You know it, it's basically a conference series that doesn't count as a conference series. And that's what kind of what Tennessee is doing this week uh, in this event with uh, in Houston. It, it it it's like a free like almost like preview of what's going on in April and May down the road. Not only that, they're just they're fantastic litmus tests without much, you know. It, it's not like college football where if you lose an out of conference game, basically your shot at the national title is over, no matter what conference you're in. Um, it, you know, you can take those risks in a baseball season, and it's fun to get that kind of, you know, what what we we talked about Tennessee a whole lot. They are the top scoring team in the nation coming into the Texas game. Scored two runs yesterday. Now the umpire was absolutely awful. We got caught looking on two straight bases loaded opportunities with strikes that were called at least a foot off the plate. Absolutely horrific. But I, I say all that to say we got more of an idea of where Tennessee is realistically. You can't tell that by how they're blowing out Iona. We can tell that when they're playing number one Texas. And I mean, Texas is who we ended the season with last year. So 
it's nice to see that we haven't had much of a drop-off from last year. We looked about the same in this matchup with Texas as we did at the end of last season. But that's a good thing for Tennessee because we have a lot of new guys to our roster. Texas has got a lot of their guys back. Um, but it, it's it's that it's that free litmus test. It, it, do, it doesn't cost anything. It's like a, it's like getting your COVID test in the mail. It doesn't cost you anything. It might take a little while. might not be the best example, but it gives you an idea of where you're at. Um, and, and where you need to improve, what guys you need to get more time, what guys need less time. Um, and it, it helps you set up how you're going to operate in conference play. I, I love the out-of-conference stuff in baseball. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, if, if Tennessee, heaven forbid, doesn't make the NCAA tournament, it's not going to be because they lost a neutral site game to Texas in exactly. March. You know, it's, exactly. It's, it's the litmus test, like you said. And all here on the right hash. Follow us on Twitter at the right hash as we tick down toward the end of our latest episode. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of our, our that was going to be our, our MLB fuck Rob Manfred talk, but you know, just college baseball just takes over because that's how things work here on the right hash. But actually, fuck Rob Manfred. Major League Baseball doesn't even deserve us to talk about it. Honestly, yeah. it's just it, what what it, what can we say that everyone else hasn't said? All I can say about Major League Baseball is if you're blaming one side or the other, you're part of the problem. Both sides are to be blamed here. Yeah, it it all sucks. But what doesn't suck is that the Braves are still defending national or national World Series champions. And and maybe more important, as long as there's a lockout, Freddie Freeman is still a Brave. Yes, that is also true. Um, And if anything happens on the right hash, we will have reaction to it uh, in that If we can just lock out until – you know, he's a couple years older and really can't sign a long deal. You know, just get a two or three year lockout. I think Freddie Freeman could retire a brave. That would be really nice. It'd be really nice. Be like the next chipper or something like that. But here on the right hash, we have just a few minutes left for our quick hitters. And it is March, so we'd be remiss if we didn't mention some basketball tournaments. Um, regular season for men's finishing up this week. SEC tournament happening uh, for the women. Uh, but I, I want to talk about the ACC tournament a little bit. Uh, over on the men's side, Duke is obviously going to be the number one seed. Uh, there's a lot of teams with a lot to gain from this ACC tournament. Um, ACC week this year, uh, a lot of people are saying Duke's the only lock. You know, that's not actually, you know, Notre Dame's probably going to be in. North Carolina's probably going to be in. Uh, Miami Wake Forest probably going to get in. But, you know, teams like Virginia Tech and Virginia have a lot to gain from uh, from this ACC tournament in Brooklyn. And I'm not going to be so much on the prognostication uh, but I have I have been to the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. I hope it. I you know I wish it would stay in Greensboro forever. Uh, it looks like that's obviously not going to happen. Greensboro is the best part place for it. But Brooklyn does a good job. The Barclays Center is a really nice place, and it, you don't you don't expect it to be you know ACC Central, and it's not. But it is still pretty cool. You know, seeing all that ACC color and all that ACC flair in New York City kind of brings a, a new a, a new feeling to it. Um, the last time I went, Virginia won it uh, in Brooklyn, so that was nice. Uh, Virginia needs to win the tournament to go to the N- NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech probably in that boat as well. Um, but just kind of on a more general note, I-, I love conference tournaments. They're a lot of fun if your team's not on the bubble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- th- I, th- I think they're still fun if your team's on the bubble because you have you actually have something to play for. Um, I almost I feel like if you're – kind of already in the field you're not playing for anything other than just the championship which is 
you know, that's something great in and of itself, but no one remembers them. You know, I think, I think who wins the regular season title is more appropriate rather than just who wins the conference tournament. Yeah, um, I agree. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where I, if, if you're already on, you know, one of the top four seed lists, you're probably going to stay there as long as you don't have a horrible exit, especially the way most conferences have double buys for those top four seeds. Now you don't have the opportunity to really lose a bad game. Um, so it, it's, it's one of those things again, where it's more for the teams trying to build, you know, build a case to get in on that last four in or get, get off the bubble and be safely in on the 10 line, something like that. Um, and the ACC has a ton of teams that could wind up there. I mean, the the fact that the last Lenardi projection I, I saw was maybe a week ago, and it had UNC on the last four on the first four outline, um, which that's not a good thing for the ACC because they're like what fourth in the ACC right now, and they're in the last four or in first four outline. Yeah, they're fourteen um, and five in the league. That's yeah, that just shows you how weak that shows 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 you how weak the ACC is this year. I mean, the ACC is weak, and they're not even good in the weak ACC. That's if you listen to my hot box last week, you understand. What I'm saying <laughs> <about that>. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's just it's just a bad year for the ACC. It doesn't mean the ACC is a bad conference or that they're going away. It was just a bad year all around in basically every sport for the ACC. COVID screwed them up, threw them off a year. They'll they'll be back next year, I think, um, just a, as a conference. Um, but ACC is not going to get a lot of teams into the tournament this year, I don't think. No, definitely not. And we, we flip over to the SEC where the top four has been set for a little while. We just don't know exactly where. Uh, you yeah. got Auburn 14 and 13. Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee all have got 13 wins. Um, but then you've got a lot of teams in that 9 and 8, 8 and 9 uh, kind of abyss. Yeah. And as we move toward Tampa, it's in Tampa this year, kind of an unusual place for the ACC, for, for the SEC tournament. Um, who do you think has the most to gain from, from the SEC men's tournament? Um, right now, I think Alabama is a team that has a lot to gain right now. They're, that they've been a good team that have good losses, but they also have some really they, – they have some bad losses. Um, so I, I, think, I think Alabama um, – Yeah, they just lost to Texas a on Thursday. L- That's a tough loss for Alabama. Yeah. LSU. I mean, I, I'll go as far to say I think we pretty much know – Who's in from the SEC? Um, I think Florida is coming on here strong at the end of the season. I don't know if they're going to be able to make it. They they probably will, but they're kind of on that like that. They're in that weird group with South Carolina and LSU. And on paper, Florida and LSU are way better than South Carolina, but they they have the same or worse conference record, and I I think that hurts. I think Florida is probably going to sneak in. I'm fairly certain LSU is going to make it. Um, Alabama just has a – they're going to fall out of the top 25 this week. Um, but they're in the field, and I think Alabama is fighting for a respectable seed because right now they're they're in that bunch that is going to wind up in that 8, 9, 10 seed zone. And if you can do something to get to a 6 seed, just better your chances. You know, I would much rather be playing, you know, an 11 seed than an 8 seed myself. Um, so SEC, I see probably seven, eight, maybe nine teams getting in. I, you know, just depends on what the, the folks think about Texas A&M. 
Um, I think they're a little bit of a wild card. They've played some good basketball here down the stretch. Um, they've got a decent record. I mean, all these teams we're talking about are nearing 20 wins. I mean, LSU's at 20, A&M's at 19, South Carolina's at 18, Florida's at 19, Alabama's at 19. Um, you know, there's all it's it's kind of been common commonly accepted that if you get to 20 wins, you get to the tournament. Um, yeah. in, in a major conference. So there's a lot of teams that are right there on that bubble in the SEC. Um, and it, it's why you see those top four teams in the SEC getting so much love, even though, I mean, Tennessee's got seven losses. Kentucky and Arkansas both have six. Auburn has four. The thing is, none of those teams have bad losses, really. They're, they're all quad one losses. They might not be quad one A+. plus. There's like a, a, a secondary uh, hierarchy for quad one losses, but um, that they, they, they haven't been bad losses. They've been to each other or really good out of conference teams. So they're getting respect because the rest of the conference is really pretty good, except for Georgia. I mean, no, I mean, I, I'm I'm not saying that to throw shade. They're just really the 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 redheaded stepchild in the conference this year. They're just not they're just not good. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I can tell you with absolute certainty that nobody in Georgia cares because they're still celebrating that national championship in football, and I don't blame them one bit. Oh, for sure. I mean, and they <laughs> just they they just started to try to join the EU. They're like the SEC is not even hard enough. I know this is crazy. They, they, the want, they want to get they want to leave the whole United States. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> Kirby <laughs> is on such a power trip, man. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to the conference tournaments, men's conference tournaments next weekend, and the SEC women's tournament's been a lot of fun. It'll, it'll probably be over by the time you listen to this show. But uh, you have but, to tell us how Jeff Danschler likes Europe. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, have to ask him about that. He's probably he's on, on a plane right now as as we speak. He's not getting ready to call the Georgia Georgia Tech baseball game. He's uh, headed ready to go to do some negotiations with uh, with Mr. Putin and he, he's <laughs> he's calling the World War. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all the time we've got here on this episode of the Right Hash. As there's a lot of sports we need to go watch and work this weekend. If you're if you're me, uh, if you're Alex, you just get to watch and, and have fun. But uh, I will be. Uh, we'll be doing some broadcasts, and uh, who am I kidding? I have a lot of fun too. As as my as my parting word here, I I know we kind of talked off air about this being annoying to us, but it's it's going to be our, our our last. It's it's our last right hash with this guy playing a regular season game, and he has been the only coach at Duke since really either one of us have been alive. Um. What watch the UNC Duke game? You know, it's I, I I understand the whole Mike Krzyzewski thing's getting overplayed. He's not overplaying it. You know, he's not the one putting his name out there all the time. He's just been Mike Krzyzewski the whole time. And as someone in the triangle who has been tormented by Mike Krzyzewski, I can say he's a classy dude. He's he's a, a grade A competitor. Really set the standard for basketball. In this state, he you know took it to another level with Carolina and the Tobacco Road rivalry. He's maybe the biggest reason why that is the most heralded rivalry, arguably in college sports, definitely in college basketball. Um, and just you know, it's 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 going to be different without him. And I think in in, in a bad in a in a negative uh, way of speaking, I I don't think Duke's ever going to be the same. So. As, as annoying as it is to hear everyone talk about it, and sorry if I'm adding to the annoyance, but, you know, just I hope everyone takes a second to understand the gravity of what's leaving the game 
Um, this is the last Duke UNC regular season game we get to see of what we've all grown up with. So just take a second, enjoy it, understand the gravity of it, and then and then move on. Yep, no doubt about it. I I agree 100. percent I'll have that on while I'm working for sure. Don't know how much I'll get to actually pay attention, uh, but I I will certainly have that game on. Um, I don't know who I'm going to be rooting for. I don't normally root for anybody in that one. But, yeah, definitely definitely Coach K, one of the game's true uh, icons, <laughs> leaving, riding off into the sunset. Um, and don't forget those three gold medals he won for the USA as well. That, that also cannot be discounted in his decorated resume as one of the, if not the greatest basketball coach of all time. So, And he's done it somewhere that is harder to get into than anywhere else that he's having to compete with, in my opinion. So he's, yeah, Duke does not, they do not bend the rules for athletes. That's for damn sure. Nope. So just, you know, respect that. That's just what it's about. Respect. You don't have to like it. You don't have to lean into it and talk about it all the time, but just, Show them, show the man his respect. Show the program their respect is there, and show the game the respect. Yes, that's the it, most important thing for me is respect the game, and this is this is about respecting the game. Yeah, Co- Coach Shashevsky is one of the massive drivers to why college basketball is what it is today. So, you know, it, it's it, it's like if we got to talk about John Wooden the entire last year, I feel like people wouldn't be bitching about us talking about John Wooden during his last year. Yeah. So. Just respect it. I'm done talking about it. We've talked about this <laughs> longer than I expected to, but I just yeah, wanted so, to throw it out there for everyone. So Coach K, if you listen to this episode, thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank, thank you, you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've done to the college basketball world, Mike and Durham. And thank you, the listener. Even if you're not Coach K, thank you for tuning in uh, to Zach Burhans and ourselves talking about sports. And we will have another jam-packed episode for you next week as We'll be getting ready for some March Madness, it looks like, uh, as Selection Sunday just eight days away as of this recording. And we hope you have enjoyed this episode. Now, go watch some baseball. Go watch Tommy Tanks in some numbers. Go watch the conference tournament. As we bid you farewell, Sinatra Alexander, you check the studio. You've been listening to The Right Path.